0: And welcome to this third week in Eastertide, this third week in the Easter season um, during our uh, Bible study series titled Crisis, Christ, and You. These Bible studies uh, each week that Pastor Jen and I are alternating our uh, teaching of God's Word. The texts are the texts that Pastor Jack will be preaching on the following Sunday, and during these unprecedented and challenging times of the COVID-19 coronavirus, it is very uh, timely for us to look at this notion of crisis and and what that means, how God responds, and how we are called to respond in any time of crisis and, and trouble. And so, might you be encouraged um, to uh, study God's Word with us and All the prior Bible studies and subsequent Bible studies are archived on the church's website at villagechurch.org. And so for the coming Sunday, the first Sunday in May, we're going to be looking at the text that Pastor Jack will be preaching on, which is from Genesis 37, uh, verses 2 through 8 and 12 through 18, verses 21 through 28, and then chapter 45, verses 4 through 8. And then in the New Testament, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Let us first uh, join our hearts together in prayer. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we give you thanks and praise that even though we are separated uh, face to face, uh, body to body, uh, one to another, we are united in common faith, hope, and love that, that the Spirit of the risen Christ gives to each and all of us. Lord, um, we're grateful that we continue to be the church of Jesus Christ. And wherever we are, O Lord, we are strengthened and empowered in community by your love that surrounds us, by every blessing that comes to us. And even now, O Lord, in these uh, Bible studies and sermon series, that we can be encouraged, O Lord, uh, by your word. Might you bless each and all of us, O Lord, with your wisdom, the wisdom and understanding that comes from you. Might you, O Lord, lead us into all truth and crown us with your love. We pray these things in the blessed name of our risen Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, and so if you have your Bibles, let's turn uh, to the text. First, Genesis chapter 37, verses 2 through 8, 12 through 18, 21 through 28, and then Genesis chapter 45, verses 4 through 8. Let us hear and receive the word of the Lord. This is the story of the family of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children because He was a son of his old age, and he had made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Once Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Listen to this dream that I I dreamt. There we were, binding sheaves in the field, suddenly, My sheaf rose and stood upright. Then your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pastoring the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. He answered, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron. He came to Shechem, and a man found him wandering in the fields. The man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. The man said, They have gone away, for I have heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from a distance, and before he came near to them, they conspired to kill him. But when Reuben heard it, he delivered him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him... Into this pit here in the wilderness, but lay no hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the long robe with sleeves that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty, there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat and And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels carrying gum, balm, and resin on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. When some Midianite traders passed by, they drew Joseph up, lifting him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Then continuing in Genesis 45, then Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me, and they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine In the book of the Acts of the Apostles in the New Testament, chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, once again let us hear and receive the word of the Lord. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Friends, sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of God for the people of God, holy wisdom holy words, and we all say, thanks be to God. Well, these are familiar uh, stories um, to all of us. Um, I've subtitled uh, this particular Bible study, A Tale of Two Lives, Joseph, son of Jacob or Israel, and Saul, uh, Paul the Apostle. Now, recall from our Bible study of um, two weeks ago where I shared with you the etymology of the word crisis, right? Crisis comes from the Greek word chrysis, which means decision. And its history goes back to the early, early days um, where chrysis was regarded as that point in someone's ailment, when someone had a disease, that a a decision or a judgment um, was to be made whether that particular disease or illness would be getting better or worse. Um, and so in this current um, COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic, this is a crisis, we are at a pivot point where we're uh, experiencing so much dislocation and, and disruption and in so many places, despair. And so what, what decision are we called uh, to make in any given day and, and during this period? What are the tough decisions and choices that that we need to make? You know, like when we go out to the grocery store, uh, will we put on our masks? Um, Or how to decide what to do on on any given day, you know, when we're all uh, sheltered in place. So our uh, scripture passages uh, for this week and for next Sunday that Pastor Jack will be preaching on uh, is focused on uh, what happens when our plans are interrupted and and disrupted in times of crisis what happens when those plans that we have in place that we've perhaps crafted so well when those plans are inter- uh, interrupted and how is god going to respond how do we hope and pray that god will respond and how will how will we respond and how are we responding you know for for so many right in the last couple months all of this interruption and and disruption of our lives. Consider, I'm sure some of you have had vacation plans. Um, there is a, a, a couple um, in, our, in our church who I've been doing premarital counseling and they uh, were to have had their wedding uh, next month in May. And those plans have had to be postponed until further notice. Uh, for for um, those who have stock portfolios and who have retirement accounts, um, consider this, back in February 2020, and now to late April, the Dow Jones, in, the Dow Jones Industrial has dropped about 6,000 points. Imagine um, the, the amount of holdings or uh, the, the value in, in our stock portfolios and, and retirement accounts, how much that has dropped and how much interruption that has caused. Or oil prices and therefore gas prices. Oil prices per barrel are now in the negative. And you've probably seen photos of all of those oil tankers off the coast of Los Angeles that are just in a holding pattern. Or consider uh, graduation plans for high school seniors. And we have about uh, four or five in our in, in the village church, whom we'll be celebrating later in, in June. Um, but their plans, their families' plans, have been postponed or or canceled. Um, so for high school and college uh, seniors, um, their plans have been interrupted. Uh, consider millions in the United States who are without work, who had plans of, um, of saving. Uh, perhaps those who are ill, who are, who, are, who are sick, whether with COVID-19 or with some other ailment, um, that suddenly illness has brought one's life to a standstill as with their loved ones who await for a uh, word, and hopefully a better word for their health. And so there's so many interruption and and disruption in our lives. Um, What do we do next, and how do we respond? So here's some theological insights for our scripture passages, for these scripture passages in Genesis and Acts. We see here in, in Genesis and in the book of Acts and throughout scripture this this interesting interplay and interaction of uh, God and human beings, human and, and divine interaction and how we interact one, one um, with another. There's this interesting dynamic of uh, divine sovereignty on the one hand and human responsibility. And that how they interplay and interact one, one with another. That we all hold to, you know, that God is um, God is powerful, um, God is wise, um, God is indeed in control. But yet, we also are uh, human beings created in the image of God with agency, able to make choices, able to make decisions. We, as uh, followers of Jesus Christ, who hold on to the uh, Judeo-Christian faith, we hold to predestination, not predeterminism. And that's a very important distinction. We hold to predestination, not predeterminism. What's the difference? Predeterminism um, says that God controls every minute detail um, in our lives, in every aspect of life, every single detail from from what you ate for breakfast today, or what you'll eat for breakfast, perhaps, if you're watching this early in the morning, or the style of facial mask that you'll wear, that God somehow controls each and every part of our decision, rendering us like robots, that we actually don't have any agency. We don't have any freedom. And that's predeterminism. We don't uh, believe in that. We, we believe in predestination. Predestination is that God knows our beginning and our ending, that in the words of of Romans chapter 8 verse 39 that there is nothing and no one that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord that that God who is the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end knows our knows the course of history knows where we are to end up which is in the love of God in Christ Jesus and so we are, we are allowed, we, we in fact are blessed to have choices, to have agency, to have freedom. But our freedom can never contradict, can never frustrate God's uh, loving desires, God's loving plans. Um, there is no one and nothing that we can do or not do as individuals and as, as human beings that can ever frustrate uh, God's plans. And so... We believe in God's predestination that as God is sovereign, God governs all of creation, God governs our lives, He enables us to make choices. And um, hopefully, we make more right choices and more good choices than than bad choices. And of course, we find in our lives every day and in, in Scripture that human beings all the time make wrong choices and make bad decisions. But nevertheless, God... Uh, directs our 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 plans, or what we think is our plans, are the plans that we have devised towards His greater ends, towards His towards His greater end and loving purposes. This is what's called the hiddenness of God, the hiddenness of God, and the revealing of God. This interesting interplay, this paradox of Deus absconditus, God hidden and Deus revelatus, God revealed. That there's points and places in in the scriptures and in our own lives all around us where sometimes um, God's ways and God's will is revealed. The Deus revelatus, God reveals himself. It's much more apparent. And oftentimes and sometimes, God is a little bit more more hidden in the background uh, where we see the traces of God's Handiwork, sometimes in the background and sometimes in the foreground, and so we see that in the tale of two lives in in Joseph in the Old Testament and in Saul who becomes the Apostle Paul. In the life of Joseph, as we'll see, we see God at work um, as God works in the family drama of Jacob, Jacob who's is renamed Israel, um, and. Israel, uh, Jacob has uh, a very interesting dynamic um, going all the way to his own, um, to his own grandfather Abraham, right? This is like every family, like my own family, like your family, it is a, a pretty crazy and dramatic family. But yet we see God at work. Now consider this that God's plan is not so apparent in, these, in the crisis moments of Joseph's life. In the midst of fraternal envy, we'll see that later, right? Fraternal envy, the brothers are envious of Joseph. In the midst of conspiracy, in the midst of attempted kidnapping and attempted murder, in the midst of human trafficking, right? They sell their brother to Midianite traders. In the midst of obstruction of justice, where their father Jacob is wondering what has happened to my son, They withhold the truth um, from their father. They perjure themselves. They lie to their father about the account of their brother. And theft occurs. They steal the wonderful um, robe that, that Jacob gives to his son Joseph. So there's all sorts of things happening, all these crisis moments, but we see that God is at work nevertheless, and likewise with Saul of Tarsus, who becomes the Apostle Paul, we see here that in the, that even, even with Saul of Tarsus, one of the great persecutors of the church, a great murderer, a great villain, that God, through Jesus Christ, changes his life dramatically, interrupts it, in fact. And so in both cases, in Joseph and Joseph's family, and in Saul of Tarsus, who becomes the Apostle Paul, God intervenes and interrupts and disrupts in order to showcase His greater will and His greater way, which is His loving ends, His loving ends towards all of humanity, which is to save, which is to reconcile, and which is to redeem. And so it's it's a wonderful, wonderful thing that, um, that God does... Uh, time and time again, even though it doesn't seem like it in the midst of crisis, God is deciding. Remember, crisis is about decision. God is deciding for us, that God has decided to love us, right? That's his decision, to love us. He has already committed himself to love us even in the midst of all the drama in in human affairs, all the struggles that we grapple with, all of the crisis moments in our lives, whether on a small scale or in a large scale like a pandemic, God has made a decision to be for us, to love us and to bring all of his creation to a um, to a final consummation and fulfillment of love and of reconciliation and redemption. So let us look now uh, carefully at the text in Genesis thirty-seven and in Genesis forty-five, and then in Acts chapter nine. So, in the text, we find here that um, that Israel, uh, who's also Jacob. Remember, Jacob is renamed Israel. Um, that he that he settles his family in Canaan, and God uh, directs him in uh, in Genesis uh, thirty-five uh, to settle his family uh, in Bethel, and he stops at at Shechem, um, and there he settles his family and. We find there um, that once upon a time, um, he has all of these sons uh, from uh, four wives, Rachel and Leah and uh, Bilhah and, and Zilpah. Now, Joseph is the second youngest. The, uh, Benjamin is the youngest of his sons. We find that Joseph is the beloved one of Jacob. We read there that uh, that Joseph he assisted his older brothers in shepherding. So they were, um, uh, they were shepherd boys. But in addition to helping his brothers, uh, he helped his father's wives. Um, he helped his, his father's wives. Um, we also find that he was a tattletale, that Joseph liked, really enjoyed, reporting back to his, to his father of the affairs of his brothers. So he was a tattletale. And so you could imagine... Um, that his brothers really didn't care for Joseph, not only because that, that their father really declared his own love uh, and his own favoritism of Joseph, but uh, to, to add more uh, salt to the wound, uh, Joseph was a tattletale. And uh, Jacob showed his favoritism towards Joseph by, you know, by giving him a, a um, wonderful robe, a coat with long sleeves. Now, recall Andrew Lloyd Webber's famous Broadway rendition of this Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dream Coat. Now, in Aramaic, that coat is described as a coat of distinction. It's a coat of, of distinction that here is my son with all the honor and all the love and, um, and blessing of me. And so Joseph has this coat. And the fraternal envy that the brothers have towards Joseph is heightened and amplified with Joseph's dream. This dream that he interprets, he goes very happily and excitedly to his brothers to say essentially, brothers, I've had this dream and this dream is telling me that one day I will rule over you. I will be your boss and that you will bow down to me. Now imagine receiving this, right? His brothers understandably so, grow angry. And the text says that they grow angry for both the dreams, the dream, and his words, right? We ought not to blame the brothers. If we're in his place, we would have the same sentiment towards Joseph. He's bragging, he's a tattletale, he's claiming to rule over us one day to be our boss. So his brothers are incensed. They feel distant from his brothers, and so uh, Jacob tells Joseph, "Go and find your brothers. I, you know, I understand that they're in Shechem. Go there, find out how they're doing, and report back to me." Okay, Jacob is not helping uh, in this uh, in this brother to brother relationship, and so Joseph goes um, to find out how his brothers are doing, and he finds out from someone that his brothers, in fact, are not in. In uh, in Shechem, so he travels about the twelve miles from you know from Shechem to Dothan. So he travels that long distance, and his brothers see him from far away, and they conspire to kill him. Now Reuben, the older brother, says, "No, let's not kill him. Um, Let's just throw him in a pit. Let's throw him uh, into this pit in the wilderness." Okay, and so it's no—it's no better, you know. It's the lesser of two evils, um, but he's thrown into the pit. They—they they tear out the the long robe, the you know the uh, a beloved robe. They take it out from his body, throw him in the pit, and the text says that in that pit there was no water. Now the Aramaic says it was a cistern. Now a cistern is a part of the ground that holds water, right? It's like the, it's the, it's the groundwater. Well, this particular cistern was dried up. And so the implication is, is that, uh, that Joseph will be thirsty if left uh, in that wilderness pit. Well, the brothers are thinking about this. Um, They're eating, leaving their brother. Okay, he has no food, no water. They're eating. They're probably teasing him. They figured, They figured amongst themselves, well, it's no good if he's dead. Let's just sell him to those Midianite traders uh, that are coming. So they sell him for 20 shekels of silver. Okay? They betray their brother. Now, remember, uh, Jesus is sold for 30 shekels of silver. But it's just interesting that, you know, this covenant beloved family of God, uh, you know, family of Abraham, family of of Isaac, family of Jacob, they do all these things. Conspiracy, envy, envy. Uh, kidnapping, human trafficking. Um, what's not told, you know, the text that, that we don't cover in, um, for this week and for next week um, is that we know what happens because they dip that colored, that 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 multicolored robe of, of distinction uh, in some in some blood, and they report back to their father to say, "Oh, your your beloved uh, son, our beloved brother." was killed by some beast of the field. And Jacob is left wondering and wondering, oh no, what has happened? And he's grieving and mourning, not knowing that his sons have sold Joseph to these Midianite traders. And we find in the intervening text between chapter 37 and chapter 45, that uh, while uh, Jacob is grieving and mourning and, and, you know, and is believing that his son is lost, uh, Jacob is... Uh, is brought to Pharaoh, to the ruler of Egypt, brought to his household and encounters some hardship there. But then God is preparing him to be in a place of great authority, in a place of trust. And Pharaoh placed him in a place of trust. And so what we find there, by the time we get to chapter 45, um, that Joseph has been placed in a place of stature and authority to a point where there is a regional famine. And many families, many tribes are looking for food. And uh, Joseph's brothers, his family, goes to Egypt and tries to plead their case for food. And they don't recognize that Joseph uh, is their brother, their brother of long ago. And Joseph shows mercy um, and uh, says that he'll take care of them, that he'll take care of, of, of their needs in this time of famine. In fact, in Genesis fifty, okay, this is not in our text, but later on in Genesis, when Joseph's brothers asks for forgiveness, Joseph is is crying in his heart, and he says, "Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good, in order to preserve a numerous people, as He is doing today. So have no fear." I myself will provide for you and your little ones. Imagine that, because God revealed himself to Joseph. Joseph was able to come to a place in his soul and his mind and heart to tell his brothers, you intended to do me harm, but God intended it for good so that I could be in a place to help you and to help so many in this time of famine. My good friend and ministry colleague, the Reverend Dr. Luke Powery, who serves as dean of the chapel and professor of homiletics and preaching at Duke Divinity School, and one of the great African-American preachers of my generation, commented on this text. He said, pits do not necessarily destroy us or our dreams. Waiting does not kill us. We are still alive. God uses Rubens to keep us alive. A dream deferred is not a dream denied. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage. Yes, rough times are coming, but sweet change is also coming. And so we find that in Joseph. Granted, we have the benefit of 2020 hindsight. If we're in the midst of crisis, of of struggle, as like in Joseph, we would wonder also, where is God in the midst of this? And it took decades for God's will and God's loving ways to be revealed in the life of of Joseph and the family of Jacob. But we see with twenty twenty hindsight, in the midst of waiting, what happened? That God, in the midst of crisis, when the plans of Joseph, when the plans of the brothers, were such that they wanted to get rid of Joseph and even the plans of of Joseph himself, right? We see that God's desires and plans for the family, for the region, and indeed for the world was not to be frustrated nor to be contradicted, notwithstanding uh, the bad desires of those brothers. Uh, God used Joseph in a mighty and loving way. Now we see in the Acts of the Apostles, in our text in Acts nine one through six, that um, a similar thing, but in a different, from a different vantage point. Whereas Joseph was about waiting and be of good courage for God's plans to, uh, to be disclosed, for Saul the great persecutor of the church, his life was changed and transformed for the better, to be used by God, not for evil ways of what Saul was doing to persecute the church and to kill the church but to be one of the greatest apostles of of the church and of the faith now recall that the book of the acts of the apostles is written together with the gospel according to Luke and so when you look and and when you study and read the gospel according to Luke you have to connect it with uh with the book of the Acts of the Apostles. They were believed to be written um, by Luke and by his community. And so it's the Luke Acts um, read together. The gospel according to Luke and the uh, book of the Acts of the Apostles account for us the mission of God through the early church as the church bore witness to the risen Lord Jesus Christ in their life as a community and in their testimony of faith through their words and through their deeds of compassion, hospitality, and mercy. Okay, so in short, the church was about living out the love and life of Jesus Christ. And because of that distinctive way of living and being, the early church was dubbed the way. They were called the way. That distinctive community which followed the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Namely, Jesus the Christ. Remember John 14, 6, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so this community that was called to follow the way of Jesus Christ, they were called the way. And so the close association and affiliation between this visible community of believers, the church, and the close association with the head of the church, Jesus Christ, those who are on the outside looking in, Saw that this community, this community were either guilty by association or filled with grace by association. And Saul desired letters of passage and commendation from the high priest in Jerusalem in order to purge the synagogues from Jerusalem to Damascus of anyone who was connected with the way. Because remember, by guilt of association, that if, if they belonged to the way, then they, then they followed the way of, of Jesus Christ. And Saul wanted to be an agent of the high priest in Jerusalem who wanted to get rid of any remnants of this Jesus of Nazareth and therefore of his followers. Now what Saul couldn't understand until he was transformed and converted as well as others who didn't fully understand what the way was about and and who Jesus was really about, was that it wasn't just an association, you know, sort of like joining the Boy Scouts or or, uh, uh, joining the the Rotary Club or uh, joining a political party. It wasn't just association, it was about communion. The Greek word is koinonia, communion, fellowship. No, next Sunday, we'll be celebrating the Lord's table, the communion, the, the, the joining together the unity of the body, right? That's what it means. It's not just a mere association. It's about communion, about deep fellowship, unity with Jesus Christ, one with another and Jesus with us and us with Jesus. That's why the Apostle Paul can write later in 1 Corinthians 12 that the koinonia is such that when one member suffers, all suffer. When one rejoices, all rejoices. Where he says, You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. In other words, there is a real sacramental unity between each member of the church, one with another, and individuals and the whole with Jesus Christ, so that to persecute the church is to persecute Jesus Christ himself. And that's why, when the risen Christ encounters Saul en route to Damascus, the Lord asks Saul, 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 why do you persecute me? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. This is similar to what Jesus had said to his disciples in Matthew 25, 34 through 46. Remember when he said to the disciples, When you clothe the naked, you clothe me. When you feed the hungry, you're feeding me. When you quench the thirst, Thirst of the thirsty, you are quenching my thirst. When you visit those in prison, it's like you are loving me. In other words, when you uh, persecute the believers, you are persecuting Jesus Christ. And when you bless the church, you bless Jesus Christ. And so Saul, in persecuting the church, was persecuting Jesus Saul's life was interrupted in a major way, from a life of persecution, from a life of hate and murder, following the ways of powers and principalities that sought to frustrate and contradict God's love and God's loving intentions, Jesus interrupts his life's plans and trajectory and changes it towards the greater glory and good and loving purposes of God. Next Sunday during the pre-recorded worship services, we're going to be singing two hymns: "Amazing Grace" um, and "God of Creation, All Powerful." Now, of course, "Amazing Grace" we know about John Newton, um, that um, that late 18th century um, former slave trader who, in the midst of a circumstance of a sea storm, his life is transformed, and he becomes one of the um, great hymn writers of the church. He was a slave trader. He, in fact, teamed up with the famous William Wilberforce, that great member of the British Parliament who fought for the end of the transatlantic slave trade. So his life was transformed. But the other hymn, God of Creation All Powerful, by Margaret Clarkson. Margaret Clarkson, um, a uh, uh, 20th century hymn writer, she was born to parents whom she described as in a loveless and unhappy marriage. And notwithstanding that, that, um, that, uh, uh, the home that she grew up in, she grew strong in, in the Reformed faith. And she had a lifelong struggle uh, lifelong struggle with physical disabilities that, that required much uh, surgery and she endured much physical pain. But yet she wrote hymns such as the one next week, God of Creation, All Powerful, that described the Lord's greatness and the Lord's goodness. Yes, friends, in the midst of crisis, in the midst of crisis, we find in the life of of Joseph and the life of of Saul, who became Paul, that we are called sometimes to wait and be of good courage, to see God's unfolding and loving plans, uh, even as our life's plans seem to be interrupted and disrupted. Or perhaps, like in the case of Saul, who became the apostle Paul, our plans are disrupted and interrupted so that our attitudes, our behaviors, our beliefs, our life is transformed. In all things, what seems like lives interrupted and disrupted, God has always made a decision to love us, that indeed no one and nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that in the midst of crisis, even though things are interrupted and disrupted in our own lives and the lives around us, O God, you remind us again and again in your word to wait and be of good courage, to wait upon you and to place our trust and confidence in your your good and loving and gracious intentions and plans for us. Father, might you, O Lord, continually remind us of your love for us in Jesus Christ, And that indeed, O Lord, when things seem interrupted and disrupted, you are in the midst of it. You are right here with us. We thank you, for it is in Jesus Christ's name we pray. And everyone says, Amen.